Awesome. Good morning, New Cov. Hey, I love this. And just for just a second, I need you to humor me. Will you guys just look around? And what I want you to notice, excuse me a second. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, look around. And what I'd love for you to notice is the different ages and stages that are in this room right now. This is amazing. Just to look out and look around and see that we're all in different stages. And we're all looking to ask this question, who do you say that I am? looking to answer that question. Just go ahead. Take, a, take just a second. You can look to your right and your left and behind you. You can even crank your head all the way around. There's some beautiful people out there. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for humoring me. Uh, so you guys, it's, uh, I love this place and I love, um, <clears throat> just as, as I watch people come in and and I have no idea what God has, has done or been at work uh, in your life uh, with throughout the week. Um, but, but the fact that we can all come together and to gather, and we're seeking him. And, and that's really special. And I love to be able to do that with New Cov. I've said it over and over that my favorite thing about New Cov is the people of New Cov. And, and I love this place. And it's so exciting for me to be able, for all of us to be able to come together and do that. So... Uh, today, <clears throat> I think Tim was a little concerned that I cut things off a little short uh, last time I was up here. And uh, so he gave me an entire chapter. So if you guys would uh, take out your Bibles, there's some in the seat back pocket, or you can open your, your Bible app on your phone, take a look at that. We're going to look at Matt, uh, sorry, whew, we're going to look at Mark 11 uh, today, which you guys... Uh, so we're talking about who do you say that I am? Uh, Jesus asking that question. Who do we say that he is? And I believe that Mark 11 maybe has some of the biggest who do you say that I am moments of all the Gospels. I started reading my Mark 11 when I was preparing, and I was like, okay, well, I've read this before, and, and it's, you know, it's got a little Easter feel to it. That's typically where we, uh, where we find this passage. But as I dug in, oh my gosh, uh, God has kind of rocked my world through it. So let's just, uh, let's just pray that God would have his way among us. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that we can trust you. God, I pray that we would open our hearts to you and desire you more and more. And God, may you have your way among us. In your name, amen. Okay, so Mark 11, uh, we're going to kick off with, that's right, verse 1. Uh, And I'll just read this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So here's our first who do you say that I am moment. The disciples had probably gotten used to uh, doing some strange things that Jesus had asked over, the, uh, over their time with him. So remember, he's, he's told them to feed a very large crowd uh, with hardly any food, Twice, uh, he asked them to. Uh, he asked. He had Peter 
uh, get a coin out of the mouth of a fish to pay taxes. They watch him do tons of unusual things. So Jesus asking them to get a donkey is just another one of those who do you say that I am moments. Uh, First, he had earned it with them, even even though it took them a while uh, to put it together. By now, they seemed to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. They had spent enough time with him and witnessed enough of his awesome power that when when asked to do do an unusual task, uh, they were willing. Now, we don't know the relationship that the people who owned the cult maybe had or maybe they'd heard about Jesus or, or not. We just don't know what that relationship is. But that was another who do you say that I am moment. And uh, they trusted uh, that Jesus would send the colt back. It begs the question for me as I started reading this, would I be willing to do whatever God asked me to do? When we know who God is, that he's trustworthy, that he's good, that he's all-knowing and all-powerful, when we become willing, then we become willing to do things with our life or with our possessions or time that maybe don't always make sense. Did it make sense to go take someone's donkey? Probably not. In fact, Jesus said, hey, this might not make sense, so when they ask you, (laughs) here's what you should say. Um, So Mark 11, as we read it, is bookended with, with what it looks like to do whatever God asks, as the disciples are showing an example of there. And then what it looks like to cling to your own ways or your comfort, as we'll look at uh, with the Pharisees later in the chapter. So a couple of weeks ago, Tim encouraged all of us to sit with our palms open and up. And I'll be honest, it felt a little uncomfortable. uh, Acknowledging that this posture helps us to to be open to, to receiving what God would have for us. Maybe releasing something that we're clinging too tightly to. Reading and preparing for today's passage uh, took me back to a time when all I wanted to know, I had one simple question for God, what is your will for my life? It took me back to that moment when it seemed like I was at a crossroads trying to figure those things out. And I remember wanting to have God just clearly communicate what steps were needed to move forward. Similar to, hey, I need you to go to this place, untie that donkey, and bring it back here. Something similar to that. Uh, I wanted clear direction on where to go with my life. Uh, When I asked God to show me his desire for my life, I had one major fear of something that God was going to ask me to be able to give up or open my hand toward. And I'm going to show you at the end of, uh, toward the end of the message, I'll show you a picture of what that was. And then we can all probably chuckle just a little bit about that. Uh, And and you'll go, really, Troy? That was was your hang-up? Uh, but it's true. So in the midst of, of being in a place in my life where I was uh, seeking God as to whether to move from Lincoln, become a full-time teacher, do full-time ministry in young life, uh, never mind the fact that I was curious about who God might have for me to marry and if that was even in the cards. What I didn't realize is that this was a who-do-you-say-that-I-am moment in my own life. Did I trust God enough to pray for his guidance and his will regardless of what it meant I needed to do or to give up? Or was I just praying that God would just just wrap up all my desires into a nice little package and say, here you go. Did I believe that God was in charge or that I was in charge? 
And looking back, I think that I was mostly open-handed, but maybe not completely. So if in this room, if you're new to your faith, or maybe you're on the front end of trusting God or a relationship with Jesus, what would you most want direction from? So just think about that when we see the different ages and stages. And if you're new in, and you have that whole, the whole life aspect in front of you, what is it that you would most like God's direction from? With your, with your hands wide open, uh, are you asking that or seeing that with your hands wide open? Or are you clinging uh, to something, to a hope that you have, that you think that you need, but maybe, maybe that just isn't the case? Is he big enough to help you in those unknown, uncomfortable situations? And those of us that are further along in our faith, it, it begs the question, like, are we willing to, to loosen our hands on some of the things that have brought us comfort and the things that, uh, that we're maybe clinging to as we seek to follow his direction? So the disciples trusted Jesus and went to get the colt. They trusted him with little things, which led to them trusting him with bigger and bigger things. Let's look at what comes next. Verse 7. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he, I'm sorry, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So here's two more who do you say that I am moments. First, this is perhaps Jesus' most emphatic and dramatic declaration of who he is. He fulfills a prophecy from uh, Zechariah 9.9, which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Also, Genesis 49 pointed toward this moment. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of all the nations shall be his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. So Israel's true king would come from the tribe of Judah and be associated with the colt of a donkey. So Jesus is acknowledging himself as Israel's true king. However, in biblical times, uh, in, in ancient biblical world, a leader rode in on a horse if he was coming in war and a donkey to signify peace. While acknowledging himself as Israel's king, he shows that he is a king bringing peace, a king that comes in humility. He's not coming to conquer. He's offering peace. This is Jesus saying, here's who I am, and everyone was watching. The response of the people show, that, show who they say that Jesus is. The Jews acknowledge the prophecies of Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah who would save them from their oppression. From the Romans by calling, by calling him son of David and spreading their cloaks, thus making a carpet for the royal procession. The crowd here is welcoming Jesus as a political deliverer, the one who will throw the shackles of Rome, who will throw off the shackles of Rome. They want Jesus to be their king. They just don't 
realize that that won't happen until after he's rejected. They waved palm branches, uh, which are used as a symbol of victory. They shouted Hosanna, which is both a cry for help, Lord save us, and a cry of victory, acknowledging that Jesus had come to save them. The people are lined up celebrating what they anticipate is a government takeover by their king. They anticipated an immediate takeover. Fast forward to the end of the week, and all hope would be lost as many of those same people would shout for Jesus' crucifixion. They wanted immediate relief from their present circumstance, all the while missing out on the spiritual deliverance that Jesus is actually promising. How often do you and I do this? Uh, We want God to deliver us from our circumstances, missing out on what God actually has in mind for us. Uh, We don't open our hearts to what God actually wants for us to grow closer in our dependence on him. We obviously, uh, we, we tend to want an obvious escape from the problem. When we really look at who we say God is, it will often lead us to lean into life's circumstances and trust that he's in control. So, all right, uh, on to two more huge who do you say that I am moments. Uh, verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So first we notice that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. He looked around carefully and then he left. Then the next morning, back on his way to Jerusalem, we have this encounter uh, with the fig tree. It seems like a moment uh, that's showing the opposite of the Jesus that we've seen so far. Uh, The healing, merciful Jesus, which is why it's so significant. Fruit on a fig tree generally appears before the leaves. So, if a fig tree has leaves, it should have fruit. Jesus' reaction to the fig tree is a response to what he saw that was happening in the temple the day before. We'll get to that part next, but basically, in the temple, uh, it looked like worship, but what was happening was really tied to comfort, status, and money. Uh, Just like the fig tree, things can masquerade as the real thing, but but fail upon closer inspection. This this inverted miracle, uh, we see, we see the stakes of failing to produce fruit, giving giving a fruitful impression and failing to back it up. In fact, the nation of Israel uh, had a history of being compared to a fruitless tree. But God continually promised to one day replant Israel and produce healthy figs from her again. And now the Jewish crowds gathered to celebrate Jesus as their king, except there's no fruit. The fig tree has failed again. Jesus saw what was happening in the temple. Lots of action, but no righteousness. Leaves, but no fruit. What he does next shouldn't really be surprising. We pick up in verse 15. 
It says, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So I would guess that this buying and selling uh, that's happening in the temple courts, maybe that happened as, uh, with good intention. Uh, maybe, maybe as a way to assist people, like the convenience of a drive through Like, oh, you know what? We forgot our dove. Ah, well, we can pick one up at the temple. Uh, according to the law, two doves or pigeons uh, were required for, for circumstance. Uh, there were merchants selling cattle and sheep there as well, each adding their own markup. Add to that a coin exchange situation between Roman and Jewish currency, and what was intended to be a way to draw near to God became a big money-making venture. With both the fig tree and his actions in the temple, Jesus says, stop pretending. Whether we're doing it on purpose or not, we need to stop pretending. Sometimes we fake our Christianity. We want, to, we want to look good to the people around us, and so we say the right words, we go to the right places, we do the right things. We look great on the outside, but on the inside, we're filled with hate, bitterness, judgment, arrogance. We're like what Jesus says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23 when he says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. First, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. And sometimes, you and I pretend without even noticing. We get so caught up in our usual ways and routines that we don't even notice that we aren't including God in our everyday life. We have good intentions, but we aren't producing fruit. The fig tree and the bustling temple courts uh, during Passover are putting on a good show, and that made it all the worse. It's one thing to lack fruit. It's another thing to lack it while pretending you have it. The next part of the passage uh, is Jesus telling them how they should do it. How should you live out your who do you say that I am? Verse 22, have faith in God, Jesus answered. And by the way, typically when I, when I read the word faith as I'm reading my Bible, I will, I will quickly just switch that word to trust because the, the word is, is the same in translation. And for me, a tr- to say trust uh, gives me a more tangible uh, thing to hold on to. Faith seems a little, uh, a little tricky for me to, to figure out what that means, but trust is something that Uh, that I feel like I can grab onto. So, have trust in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that, uh, that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them. So that, the, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. 
So there's a lot to unpack in this, and honestly, a lot of questions uh, that come away with this, uh, from this conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about prayer and the temple. But one thing I want us to take away is this. The people of Jesus are to be a people of prayer and connection to God in a way that it's exactly the opposite of the self-centered, self-gratification of the money changers and the fruitless fig tree. Followers of Jesus are to be called, uh, sorry, followers of Jesus are called to put all of our faith, all of our trust in the all-powerful, loving God in stark comparison to what Jesus just witnessed, uh, he's telling his disciples to live with their palms open wide, completely trusting the sovereignty of God. Yes, there will be opposition. Yes, there will be mountains. But do we trust that God is in control and that his plan is better than any plan we could ever have? Who do we say that he is? And do we pray that way? So we finish this chapter uh, with Jesus. Uh, He comes right out and asks the religious leaders who they say that he is. And to summarize this, uh, the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders try to trap Jesus by asking, by what authority and who gave this authority uh, to you to do this? And Jesus responds with his own question. And because the leaders are holding tight and not open-handed, They're unable to embrace Jesus. The contrast of this chapter is what really sticks out to me. Uh, We begin with disciples, young in their faith, learning, willing to do whatever is asked of them. And we end our chapter with Pharisees who may have started with good intentions, a desire to follow Jesus. But now they have too much to lose. And so they're gripping on to what's there and what's in front of them. So I don't want this to get lost on us. Those of you uh, that are young in your faith, turn your palms open toward God as you seek God's direction. It might be a little easier at this point because you don't become stuck. Uh, You're not trying to pretend. Uh, Those of us that are older in our faith, uh, is there anything more worthy of your obedience than Jesus whom we've learned to trust. Who do you say that he is? What things are you holding back from taking the next step of trusting him? So as I told you at the beginning, when I was, when I was 22, there was one thing that I was like, God, I totally want to know exactly what you have for me. I, I'm, I'm so excited about this. But in the back of my mind, I was so afraid. Uh, if God asked me to give this up, would I be willing to do that? And so... I would uh, agonize over that just a little bit. And so we'll show this picture here in just a second uh, of what that was. And then what I'd like for you guys to think about is just help me answer the question. Is, is this worth hesitating over what God's best plan for my life might have been? So here's the picture. It's not that funny, guys. It was hard. So you need to know, uh, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with with, uh, owning a bike or maybe three bikes. I'm not sure. Uh, And I'm embarrassed to say that I would spend, when I was not riding my my bike, I would spend time just sitting there looking at it and uh, sometimes working on it. 
This is my heart, guys. So, from where, from where I sit now, I can see clearly that these are not worth uh, grabbing onto, holding tight to. Uh, these are old now. God's mercies are new every day. God himself is trustworthy. So I just ask, what possessions, desires, or passions do you, hold, uh, do you need to hold with an open hand? So that you know, uh, I was able to eventually, uh, I, I don't know, I got rid of a couple of the bikes. I have no idea where they were. Eventually, I gave one of the other bikes away <clears throat> to my son when, uh, when I bought a new bike. <laughs> it's true. Uh, you know. Uh, so, so who do you say? That's, that was kind of a funny way, but honestly, there are things that this is clear, and it's, it's really a dumb and ridiculous story. I hesitated as to whether I should put that up there, both so you could see that I still don't hang pictures, and I didn't back then, uh, but, but that there are little things that, that just hold us up sometimes from being able to be open-handed and to trust God. And so that's what I believe that God's asking us to do here, looking at the contrast and being willing to just open our hands to him. So who do you say that Jesus is and what does it look like for you to take steps toward trusting Jesus? I'm going to pray and while we do that, uh, if the worship team will come on back up, that'd be great. But here's what I'd like for you to do. And it felt a little bit weird a couple weeks ago. I don't know if this is new to you. Some of you guys are better at this than others, but, but I really want you to sit there and, and just put your hands out in front of you. You can rest them on your knees or whatever, but open those hands because it is hard to hold or to grab tightly onto something when our hands are open. And let's just pray. God, will you help us to seek you and to trust your way among us? God, I pray that we would uh, cast all of our fears, all of our thoughts, all of our anxiety, all of our desires, our passions, our will, onto you, and I pray that we would trust you with them. God, if that means for some of us uh, being able to trust uh, your will with, with our grades or our occupations or our future or our spouse or our 401k or our jobs or what car we drive or where you may be directing us, God, I pray that we would open our hands toward you, and I pray that we would desire you more. God, help us to reconnect to the faith and the trust that we can have in you, and to know that you are worthy and that you love us. And I pray these things in your awesome name. Before I leave the stage, and uh, Brett will close us down, but would you guys, in the seat back pockets, there are uh, these prayer request cards, and I would love to know how to pray for you what it looks like, what's going on in, in your life situation. If you guys would uh, grab one of these, write a prayer request there, and then on your way out we have a, a little wooden box that you can drop them in, and our staff loves to be able to pray uh, for our church body. So thank you guys.